You're listening to the More on Manufacturing podcast, where we talk about improving the value and operation of your business. Join Mike, Kevin, and the occasional guest for the latest on sales optimization, operational leadership, cash flow management, lean strategies, preparing for the sale of your company, business intelligence, and much more. Hi, I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. I'm here with Kevin Golden, one of my partners and also a member of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. Today, we are joined once again by Ed Marsh. Ed is a business management consultant who has founded and operated several businesses. Today, as principal of Concilium Global Business Advisors, he assists lower middle market industrial manufacturers with strategy and revenue growth. Uh, you know, this is a this is a topic where we're continuing to dig in on. We've had Ed on before, um, and you know, we've hit this before, but sales revenue strategy, growth. There's a lot of things that get unpacked into this sales and growth process. And it's an important driver in the value of a business now and going forward. And, and I think, you know, as, as Kevin and I continue to talk to manufacturers, both clients and non-clients, we see this in the area that they, they really struggle on. So throughout 2024, we're going to, Ed's going to come back here and there to help, uh, really continue to dig in on this topic and to give, you know, as much information as we can during these short timeframes to help manufacturers think differently about sales and sales processes. So, Ed, welcome back in the show. Great to have you on. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I love these conversations with people who, I, who, who understand manufacturing, who are in facilities and understand the mindset. And it, it makes for a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and Ed, you know, um, as always, thanks for being here. Um, you know, anytime we talk with you, there's always seems to be a, a lot of great advice, a lot of information to unpack. So uh, today, where where do you think we should begin when we're talking about sales process and methodology and so forth? Where, where should we start? Well, we'll talk about sales. We'll talk about process methodology. We won't use the dirty word marketing. Um, maybe another time we'll talk about that. I know that's not a that's not a word people love in the manufacturing world, but sales, I think, is undervalued. And and so if we kind of back up and think about it, I mean, I know the core of your gentleman's approach to this podcast and your business is helping companies create value. Mm-hmm. And I'll quickly outdrive my my accounting headlights, but basically, as I understand it, the the, the the basics of value is that it's an aggregation of the assets of a business and some discounted future value of income. And so if we really, I mean, the assets are relatively easy to measure. So it's that future, that discounted uh, value of the future income. What's the key to that? And, and I would maintain the key is to have a process that allows you to generate income effectively and repeatably. If you have a big windfall one year, that's, you know, that's nice, but it, it's it's not a foundation for value. You have to be able to replicate that on an ongoing basis. And that replication, in my experience, is where there's often a problem that manufacturers run into. You know, they may have, you know, last year they may have had three and a half percent growth. They're feeling okay about that, except they haven't stopped to think about 7% of that being actually price increases. So they probably had negative growth. And if you look at real growth, it's not consistent. You know, in, in my experience, companies have Lots of processes for compliance and manufacturing and operations. They've got defined steps. And, and if they follow them correctly, they know that they'll get consistent outcomes. And, and you guys have it in accounting. You've got gap and internal controls and all kinds of uh, matrices for making decisions about expense versus capitalized investments. But 
in sales, we just we often don't see that as crazy as it is. If you back up and look at it, we don't see it that way. And that's true of the sales process, too. I mean, most companies say that they have a sales process, but I would argue that it's really more like a series of administrative steps. You know, it's something that sounds like, okay, we got to find a project. Maybe somebody calls us or an existing customer or or a contact from one company moves to another. But let's say we find a project. Then we're going to collect the specs, going to get the technical details. Then we're going to create a quote and then we'll kind of follow up and then we'll wait. And we hope that the waiting results in something. And what's, what's really funny is you see people often associate some likelihood of a close progressively with each of those steps. You know, issuing a quote is often associated with an 80% likelihood of close, except that's so arbitrary. I mean, you know, think about how silly it would be if creating a quote itself was an effective step, then we'd all do that as the first step. If it made us 80% likelihood of close, it just, it doesn't, it's fiction. So in manufacturing, you know, you don't just list assembly steps. You have to check the lighting and you experiment with fixtures and you use machine vision to check. All of these things are around this process that you build. And we can bring that same mindset to sales. If, 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 if my premise is correct and an admin process doesn't really drive predictable revenue, then that explains why so many deals. And I think many of your listeners probably see this many deals these days end in no decision. They're just kind of, evaporate the pipeline looks so full and then so many deals oh well next month next month next quarter oh there's still interest it's going to happen except it never happens it just evaporates that it it evaporates and so if we want to fix that then we have to really back up we have to get the process right and in order to do that i'd say we have to be very careful about the terminology that we use and and so let's really kind of carefully define two different terms sales process and sales methodology and I don't know how often you hear both of those, but they're often conflated, uh, conflated rather, but they're really quite distinct and each one has its own meaning and it's really important. So a sales process is a series of steps that we can follow to take a project from the creation through the point of closed one. And an effective sales process is going to really focus on qualifying an opportunity and establishing how and when and why a prospect will buy. The what is relatively easy. The quote, you know, is relatively easy. We all get the what, but the why and the when and the how and the who. Sales methodology, in contrast to the process, is actually the technique that you use to consistently execute the sales process. And you might find um, kind of this might be most typically reflected in the types of questions that salespeople ask. Maybe the technique for asking them, the order they ask them in, the, the people they believe they have to get in touch with to ask them, and the, the technique for how they elicit accurate answers. So if, if we were going to dive into sales methodologies, which I don't think we're going to here today, but some of the names that might be familiar to people listening would be Spin Selling or Miller-Hyman Strategic Selling or Sandler Sales or Baseline Selling. Those are methodologies, and, and companies need both. They, they need the process. And they need the methodology and sales managers need to coach and train on both of those. And salespeople need to be proficient. The sales process needs to be built into the CRM sales pipeline, not just kind of um, the, the, the typical admin steps, but qualitative and quantitative information to make sure that deals are being, being properly qualified so that they're reasonably forecastable and, and, and then revenue becomes predictive. And, you know, I, I guess the final thing about the process as a as as a entry point to the conversation 
we had a conversation a couple of months ago where we talked about the need to have second or third standard deviation sales talent. It's hard to find those people, but it's critical because if you've got a really good complex sales process, average salespeople aren't going to execute it well. So you have to have those top performers. So, yeah. so there's my, my quick uh, ramble on sales process <laughs> versus methodology. No, that, that's great. And I think, you know, part, part of the problem when I think of processes as well as they're repeatable pro things that you can almost drop somebody into a process that's well-defined. Now, the methodology is, like you said, that that's, that's something that's trained differently, but a process itself is something that is well-defined, it's, it's executable, and you can measure your success or, or how you're doing on that or your effectiveness. And so, you know, to, to me, that's where, you know, if you've just got somebody who's kind of been always doing it in your company and they're, they're out there, they do their thing, they're great, but they're also about to retire in a year, you know, now, now you've got a big process. So as a company is thinking about, uh, okay, Ed, I, I need a, a pro, I've got a process. How do, how do I think about it in terms of its effectiveness? Because I got these administrative steps. Like you said, I, I send the quote here, I do this, I do that. But, you know, what is, as they implement this, what are they thinking about in terms of effectiveness and, and how are they measuring that, looking at that? Are there milestones? What, what, what is that approach? Yeah, I think those are both really important questions. They're a little bit different. And, and, and maybe we can circle back to the effectiveness because having good KPIs sure. and measurement is really important. But to, your, to, to the second part of your question, the milestones, it's critical that you actually understand what those milestones are. And sometimes these sales processes end up so convoluted, you know, it's either this simplistic set of admin steps or it's so complex that people can't visualize what they're supposed to do. Right. For that reason, one of the things that I like is Dave Curlin's baseline selling. And he actually sells it as the only integration of sales process and methodology. And we could debate that. But the nice thing about it is it gives a very easy to visualize set of baseball analogies to help okay. map the consultative sales process. And so you just think about running the bases, basically. So getting on first requires identifying something that the prospect agrees probably should be improved about their about their business. You've got in agreement, there's some kind of a problem. You don't know if it's a big one or a small one, or they're compelled to solve it, or it's just an irritation. You have no idea, but that's the start. It's kind of the permission to have a substantive conversation. And that substantive conversation begins as you move from first to second. And the first thing you really have to do is help the prospect diagnose their problem. And often prospects misdiagnose. I'm sure you have people call you up and tell you they've got, you know, an inventory turns problem. And it actually turns out to be something very, very, very right. different. Absolutely. But you have to have the conversation. You have to dig into their mm -hmm. books and you have to talk to them about their operation. It's the, you know, the same kind of an idea. Nobody goes to the doctor and says, okay, I want this operation done. You go and say, okay, I've got this pain. And then they ask you questions and they do some diagnostics and maybe they say well, you should have this operation or go home and stop whining or somewhere in between there. But we tend to describe our symptoms and that's the way a doctor helps us solve it. And so a good salesperson has to be able to respectfully, you don't want to tell the prospect, hey, time out. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm the expert. Stand back and let me let me identify it. But through conversation, you have to be mm -hmm. able to um, determine what the symptoms are and then apply your expertise to understand the real problems, and then begin to help the buyer quantify the real impact on them and their organization. And that can be in terms of financial impact or, you know, the ability to create new business or add additional customers or retain customers or have a 
have a, a reliable supply chain or whatever the case may be, there's often deeper issues that you have to be able to help people think mm-hmm. about. And what's really interesting is great salespeople do that consultatively, just, you know, as the word implies, like a consultant would. And by the questions they ask and by the conversation they have, they really differentiate themselves from their competitive salespeople. So some people, I, I live a lot in the machine world. Some people come in and they'll start talking about, oh, it runs this fast and this many per hour, this many meters per minute or whatever the case may be, as opposed to let's really understand your business and what are we trying to solve for? So that's a big step in the sales process and it has to be measured qualitatively and quantitatively. But the point is, if we think about baseline selling, we can't move from first to second base until we really have established a compelling reason why somebody's going to buy the cost for them doing nothing, make sure there's a qualified opportunity and make sure that we agree that it's worth them working on. At that point, we, we, we probably have a qualified opportunity to put in our pipeline. You think about most of what goes in the sales pipelines. Somebody says, oh, I got a problem. Send me a quote. Bam, it's in the pipeline before we even know if there's any likelihood it's going to sell. So that's a big mind, mind shift change. Then well, we'll, Ed, Ed really quick, I, I like what you said there before we move on. I like what you said there, though. First, a few analogies. One, I'm a baseball fan, so always like any good a baseball analogy because, um, yeah, who would see anybody running from – uh, first to third or second to home, you know, but, but also what you said about being a, a doctor, you know, um, a lot of times I think if we thought about it that way, right. I mean, it absolutely makes sense. And I like what you said though, that your expertise or what differentiates you will come out in the questions you ask. Right. Cause I can say even whether it's in accounting, manufacturing, or any other, what do people like to talk about a lot of times? Oh, well, Hey, Oh, you got that problem. Here's how we do that really well. Right. Right. Like you said, that's probably more likely a symptom. It may end up being part of the problem. It may end up being the entire problem, or many times it's just one aspect of a problem, right? Um, but then we automatically are, are quick to say, well, here's how we can help, right? And here's what we can do. Here's what's going to make that better. Um, when, again, you may not even, that may be just addressing one symptom or so forth, but you're so quick to do that as opposed to being more curious, I guess you would call it, and asking more of those questions, not only to uncover what that truth may be, what that real problem may be, but also that's your time to shine where, hey, I know this industry. I know what I'm talking about. I know how to help solve the problem because I'm asking the right questions, right? Right. I really like that you mentioned that because a lot of times in trying to talk about ourselves, we're trying to qualify ourselves, say, hey, look how good we are, instead of reminding ourselves that, hey, the questions we ask, are going to help dictate that, not just how much technical knowledge about an area that we do have or that our, our, our company has uh, about our industry. So I, I really like that analogy. And that, that, that kind of rings with me and makes a lot of sense. And I, I think a funny way to think about it is if you take that approach, if as soon as you hear a problem, your happy ears perk up, you say, we can do that. We've done it for this company. Here's how we'd fix it. If we go back to that baseball analogy, what you're basically doing is running from first and you're cutting straight across the pitcher's mound to third base where you're getting ready to give a give a quote, give a proposal, give a presentation. And and then you wonder why somebody says, okay, sounds good, give us some time to think about it, as opposed to perfect, this is what we need, let's get started. You can't cut, you can't you can't skip second base. You gotta round second, you gotta identify the problem. Then you have to go through other steps and figure out um, who the decision makers are confirm they're willing to to that they believe you can fix the problem for you can uh, for them confirm that they're willing to spend more money to do business with you what their timeline is for the decision all that kind of stuff 
And along the way, another byproduct of that, kind of like those questions between first and second establish your credibility, the questions and the process between second and third address another major problem that's increasingly common in business. And that's um, kind of a resistance or a hesitance as buyers tend to now make decisions as committees. And there's less a single person that says, this is the way we're doing it. I'm making the decision. There's often a lot more hesitance. There's there's uh, we actually there's an interesting book that talks about it, the jolt effect by uh, Matt Dixon and Ted McKenna really illustrates there's a transition point in most sales that go from the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Oh, I've got to do this because it's going to cost me this much money if I don't do it to FOMO, the fear of messing up, where suddenly they start saying, oh, man, if I do this and it doesn't work out, everyone's going to think that I'm an idiot and it's going to reflect poorly on my reputation and my team's going to give me a hard time. So it's really important at each phase in that process to follow the steps, to observe the milestones, to follow the methodology, to ask the questions correct to, for sales managers to make sure, yeah, my team, my, my sales rep has this. They can answer it cogently. They understand what's going on. If I push them or kind of back test the scenario, they can explain to me why they're confident that's qualified. So it has to happen together as a team, but you have to follow those steps all the way around. So it seems to me Ed, that you could use the fear of messing up as to your advantage in that if you are really digging into what the problem is, you may identify a lot of things that your competitors aren't. If, if your competitors have this sort of that first first to third approach, hey, let me be the quickest to get this in and all that kind of stuff, they can miss key aspects of, you know, during that process. And then you can, as you approach it, you can be very clear that, hey, we also think there's an issue here and we can help you with it. And so they start seeing that and saying, well, wait a second, I know this is going to cost a little bit more, uh, but I, 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 they might be right. We've got to solve for this issue. And so we don't want to mess that up either. And, you know, part of what I'm, you know, when I'm working with manufacturers, one of the things we're always looking at are things like margins. And so we want top margins that, that we can get. Uh, so we can produce more EBITDA, so we can produce more value in, in this business. And I think trying to, you know, rush it through to the end and just try to get that quote done, you're going to leave money on it, potentially leave money in, or opportunity, or, you know, the other thing is diversification. So we want to look, we want as many different customers as we can get, but within a customer, we want as much of that share of their wallet as we can possibly get. And we can do that by digging in and helping other areas, at least the way I kind of look at it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I love the margin example, because if if we ask most people why their margin is shrinking, they're going to mm -hmm. tell us we just got this price pressure. We end up discounting in order to get deals. Well, the mm -hmm. discounting and, and, and so often the answer is, well, let's send our sales team to get some negotiation training, because if they negotiated mm -hmm. better, they wouldn't have to discount, except wind it back. And the reason they're discounting is because they cut from first to third, just like you said. If they had gone around second, if they understood the compelling reason to buy, if they had the confirmation the person was willing to do business with them and pay them more, all that kind of stuff happens along the way and establish credibility, then you're not going to have that conversation about discounting. It's going to be a very different kind of a conversation. So it's mm -hmm. really just like in manufacturing, going back to determine the root cause. It's not lack of negotiation skill. It's lack of a proper sales process and mm -hmm. maybe lack of proper sales management and methodology and other stuff that goes along with it. 
But I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and the ability to uncover other potential projects because they realize your expertise conversation raises other points. And they said, well, geez, I hadn't thought about it that way. Let's actually take a walk over here and look at this too, because this is something we've been wrestling with and maybe you can help us with that. And suddenly you're uncovering other projects. Well, think about how much easier it is to pick up new business with an existing customer and expanding throughout versus, you know, yes, again, I, I like diverse customer base, but at the same time, if you can continue to grow that within, within the customer, uh, they become more stuck to you because all the things that you can do, and that just makes it easier. Now this process is easier. And, you know, I think you, you mentioned forecasting accuracy for leads and pipe. All of a sudden this becomes a different game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's there's got to be nothing more embarrassing for an executive to sit down with the bank and say, here's our forecast, and it's completely different than it was last time. And the bank, I mean, you just lose credibility with that commercial lending relationship mm -hmm. when your forecast is so consistently inaccurate. And so what people mostly end up doing is taking their forecast out of Salesforce or wherever they, they mm -hmm. putatively have it. And then they spend a Saturday afternoon with a spreadsheet and a Word document trying to anecdotally rationalize what's going on and then they present a story as opposed to data and if you just okay. go back and do it right from the beginning then you end up with a predictable process and you know along the way i mean are, is there unpredictability yeah absolutely can a company mm -hmm. where you're about to sell a deal get acquired and put all put all transactions on hold of course things happen but you're going to have a much better insight into what's going on the the associated aspect of that is that you also then have some accurate data so you mm -hmm. accurately know what your close, what your what your uh, kind of quote to close rate is. You know how long your sales process is. You know where in the in the journey deals are falling off, getting you're discovering they weren't properly qualified. And then you can use that for coaching and improvement. So having the right metrics, that let me say it differently, having the right process makes it consistent and predictable, and mm -hmm. then that means you can actually get meaningful metrics from it that allow you to further improve as you go. Well, think about you know. What that means, I get better at my forecasting and my future revenue. Then I get my production environment geared up to that. Then I get my hiring. I get everything else in the organization starts. Falling. Because, I mean, you know, realistically, the start of the revenue cycle begins with that sales process and what I'm bringing in. What can I bring in? And then you can map your operations around it and then so on and so on all the way down the line. And now you've got more predictability and data to be able to better manage your business. And I, I'll, I'll say just kind of preemptively, because I know a lot of people listening to this may say, yeah, that all sounds good, but not in my industry or our industry is different or our buyers yeah. are predictable or capital equipment is different or whatever mm -hmm. the case mm -hmm. may be. Yes, mm -hmm. of course, there are idiosyncrasies and the wrinkles. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that having a proper sales process will absolutely increase the predictability. It's going to take mm -hmm. training. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to have good sales managers and good salespeople. It's going to be a mind a mindset shift. You're not going to want to pass a sales rep in the hallway and say, oh, by the way, what do you what quotes have you done recently? Because you'll, <laughs> you'll kind of blow some of the work. But for every industry, I can assure you that a good sales process will pay enormous dividends. Well, and two, Ed, you say predictability. I keep hearing that word. When we have predictability, I think of comfort. When I think of comfort, I think of value, right? Why? Because whether it's a bank lending or whether it's someone buying, you buy what you're comfortable, what you're knowledgeable of. And if you can explain that rather than just trying to spin a story, 
um, then now someone can get very comfortable around that. And that creates value because again, you buy what you're comfortable with, you lend to what you're comfortable and you're knowledgeable of. So the more process procedure around that, rather than just the old uh, throwing spaghetti on a wall and seeing what sticks kind of methodology, um, you know, really, I, I would imagine would pay off and value is what we're all about, right? Building value in our business, um, no matter what that may look like for you in the future. So, Yeah, I think speaking of the future, you can take it a step further. If the owner of a company goes through this process and is personally comfortable with the predictability of revenue, then they might be willing to accept a higher earnout, which might boost mm -hmm. their valuation as opposed to expecting more cash up front. So yeah. I think you're right. It, 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 it permeates all kinds of aspects of value and, and, and business. Well, when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, that, that, and that's a great point, Ed, when you're dealing with a buyer, so if we're, if we're thinking whether you're selling three years from now, five years from now, 15 years from now, when you're dealing with a buyer, you know, customer predictability, customer stickiness is, and, you know, the margin, all those things, you know, we were talking about the value driver of customer, customer capital, but there's also the other value driver of systems and processes. Yep. And so this is an intersection of those two concepts to build more value in a business. And, you know, one of the things that a buyer will look for is scalability and repeatability, training, the ability to, you know, so if you're reliant on one person to do something, then you're, you could, you're, you're in, you could be in trouble. Something happens to that person, they retire, you know, gets hit by this proverbial bus, you know, all, all of those different things. Now, all of a sudden, as a buyer, you're not very comfortable. You, you know, you, you may be in trouble. Right. So you 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 buy this company, and all of a sudden, that person goes. Something happens, and and you're losing value. So that that's why I think this is such an important topic to hit on, is because it it does intersect two points that that come together to create more value. You know, what if? I mean, here's here's kind of a, a, a an aspirational scenario, but what mm. if a company could go to market? go to the to the uh, transaction market, some sort of anticipating a liquidity mm -hmm. event and say, look, we got two sets of IP. We've got our our business IP, our mm -hmm. products, our our, you know, our knowledge, our inventions, all that kind of stuff. But we also have revenue growth IP. We have mm -hmm. such a refined process to give us predictability in our revenue growth that we believe this represents strategic IP as well and and, you know, should be part of how we're how we're valued. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think that's a great point. I think that's something that everybody should consider. So, Ed, thank, thanks for being on today. I, mean, I think we could probably go all day going back and forth about all these different things um, if we if we had the time and could keep recording all that kind of stuff. But, Ed, thanks for being on and sharing some more insights. Looking forward to having you on throughout the year and covering different topics as we evolve this. Uh, this thought process. Yeah, my pleasure. Like I said at the beginning, it's always a, a, a great um, opportunity to chat with both of you gentlemen. I, I really appreciate the perspective you bring to it. We always have good conversations. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, for everyone listening, thank you very much. Uh, I hope you had some good takeaways. And as always, if there's questions or anything we can help you out with, please give us a call. To learn more about James Moore and Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve. Thank you.